Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about how not to be a coward. This program is dedicated by a good friend of ours, in my honor, in honor of Rabbi Jacobson, a leader, a mentor, and a friend. Thank you very much, and this is a good opportunity to um, suggest and welcome your dedications, which allow our organization to continue producing quality materials and like this class. So go to MeaningfulLife.com. We have an array of many materials, as well as the opportunity, MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship to sponsor a program in memory or honor of a loved one. How not to be a coward. The topic of cowardice is not an easy one to discuss because most cowards don't, will never acknowledge that they're a coward. That's part of being a coward. You're afraid of even... Uh, Acknowledging that. It's somewhat connected to the topic of fear. But as is often the case, we like to address topics that are not addressed by many, but in a way impact our lives in very profound ways. The level of courage we have and its, and its antithesis, cowardice, impacts literally every part of our lives. Our decisions opportunities that come our way. So ask yourself this question. Have you ever behaved like a coward? Can you recall a situation where you had the opportunity to do something, but you chose to neglect or to ignore out of fear or cowardice? You may even regret it. And when you start thinking in those terms, it's not about dwelling on the past and focusing on oh, how bad I am and how weak I am and so on, but it's really to have introspection, <coughs> excuse me, introspection to be able to look at yourself in the face and say, where do I stand in this regard? The fact of us, many of us in certain situations have not necessarily shown heroism and bravery. Now, there's a classic work that we all read when we were in high school, the, the Red Badge of Courage, Stephen Crane, about a young man who's enlisted in the Union Army, the Civil War, and um, as much as he fantasized about the romantics of it, when it comes to battle, he basically desert, deserts his, 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 um, his friends and his colleagues, and then has to deal with the shame, and he's searching for that red badge of courage to be wounded so he can come back and say, I was wounded in battle. He ends up getting wounded by accident. But this the story really about shame, about cowardice, about as much as we fantasize about our ability to rise to the occasion, when push comes to shove, in this young man's case, he ends up retreating and running away. And perhaps the rest of his life he lives with that shame. So when we look at our own lives, how many of our opportunities, how many situations that came our way have we ignored or rejected and even found good excuses to do so, but at the end of the day, it was an act of cowardice. And it's a very hard thing to acknowledge because is anyone going to come up and say, I'm a coward? But you know what? It takes courage to say that, and when you have the courage to say that, it can help a person grow. So what we're going to do is analyze a bit what drives people why are some people more courageous than others? Are we wired that way? Is it something that we are 
Is it inborn? Is it acquired? Is it something we learn from those around us? And of course, the objective here is to become more courageous people, people who dare to take a leap, who don't hesitate as much and definitely do not retreat. So let's analyze this a bit. Is cowardice connected to fear? Fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of taking on anything new. So that way you simply can stay away, you stay in your comfort zone, you don't push yourself too much, and you never have to deal with the situation of disappointment, of being laughed at, <clears throat> of um, not living up to someone's expectations. But what happens in return? What happens in return? You've never really actualized your potential because you're afraid to not succeed. We all have elements of that, especially if we were criticized in our youth, in our childhood, or laughed at. So then we don't want to be, we don't want to be invalidated. We don't want to be demoralized again. So what happens is we take the choice, we choose the path of least resistance, which is the path of the coward. Now I know it's a harsh word and I don't like to really use it. I'm just using it to drive the point home. It's very difficult to talk to someone and say, hey, don't be a coward. It's not, it's not conducive to a constructive conversation. So let's rephrase it. Instead of that word cowardice, let's look at it as <clears throat> lack of confidence in yourself and your ability to make a move, which could take the shape of cowardice or fear or just resist or just uh, retreat. Basically, status quo. But what lies behind it all when we start dissecting its anatomy? Are, are there some people born actually more cowardly than others? Is it a genetic thing? So if you study families, you will see sometimes a certain strain, a certain consistent pattern among different family members. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's genetic or hereditary. That could be because it's cultural. That's the environment, so people learn from each other. When you see those around you behave a certain way, you start acting that way as well. So it's not necessarily an inborn trait. One could even argue that every child is born with a level of certain healthy confidence, which is allows the child to explore, to cry and ask for what it needs in its own way. If a child was natural coward, then why, be, why, why would it cry for milk or for food or when it's this uncomfortable? So based on that, you could argue that cowardice is really a human, a man-made element that humans project, and ultimately we learn from other people. So in other words, there's nothing inherent about it. And yet you do see that certain individuals, and it could very well be hereditary as well, do have an extra measure of courage. So not to suggest anyone's born a coward, let's say it is, comes from nurture, it comes from, from, from um, things we acquire. But still, there, you could be born with an extra measure of confidence and strength. <clears throat> so there's a lot of complicated factors at work and it's very difficult to really tell. Here's another one that we have to throw into the equation. Some people growing up with challenges, actually because of the challenges, either because of a loss, God forbid, or because they were deprived of something, or because they may have been bullied, actually rise to the occasion in defiance to demonstrate that they're more courageous than others. And they end up developing a certain bravery to compensate and overcome their being mocked or dismissed or, um, or other ways uh, belittled. 
So it can go both ways. It could be that when we're beat up psychologically, emotionally, it causes us to be more cowardly, more fearful, more tentative, more, um, um, more hesitant. Or it could sometimes cause a situation where we actually rise to the occasion and build with greater strength. There are people who've gone through very difficult challenges and they want to prove themselves. So there again, which, what determines why if someone goes this direction or someone that direction. So it all goes back, and I mean, obviously there are more factors to address. You know, obviously, as I said before, if you grew up consistently being put down and that became a pattern, obviously it's going to affect your, your, your self-confidence and your ability to make choices and often remain your main very ambiguous or maybe ambivalent is the right word in this case um, and, and, and therefore have difficulty making decisions or what people call commitment issues commitment issues because of fear because not, not lack of certainty lack of inner confidence of just following your gut or following something that makes sense to you <clears throat> but you see from this how it impacts and can impact every aspect of our lives especially the emotional areas, relationships. Who we'll have relationship with? Who will we love? Who will we be committed to? This is directly impacted by our level of courage, if you wish, and bravery in that sense. And when you have situations like in, in the Red Badge of Courage, where simply out of the fear of a child, the fear of death, the fear of the unknown, where we tend to retreat, and we don't want anyone to necessarily know that we retreated because that causes a lot of shame. So there you can attribute it also to a lack of experience. Lack of experience. When you don't have experience in doing something, it's always easier just not to get involved in the first place. As a writer, I can tell you, I remember the early years, how demoralizing it was and disconcerting when I would write one draft, another draft, another draft, and throw these, it was the time of the typewriter, and throw these balls of paper into the wastebasket <clears throat> because I didn't feel I got it. And at some point you feel you give up until you learn, as I was told by some, by my father actually, says you keep doing it. It's always going to be difficult. And one day it'll still be difficult, but you'll know you can do it because you've done it. It's like trying to run a marathon. Go run a 21-mile marathon, a 10-mile marathon. You've never done it. It's, it's, it's extremely intimidating. But you condition yourself, you try, you start with a mile, and two miles, and you can, people run. But you never know unless you try, unless you enter. So in so many ways, you can say this is connected to the rites of passage as we grow and we evolve from childhood to adulthood. If you're around people that have demonstrated bravery and valiance, gallantry, and other forms of nobility, a majesty of the human spirit in things they've done, whether it was to protect others, whether it was to take, take risks, and so on, there's no question it's one of the most powerful factors. And they tell the joke about this guy is learning, is interested in becoming a paratrooper. So what do you do? He enlists and goes up into the plane. So for the first month for him to learn the ropes, he helps out. He helped pack the others, he helped with the food, he had preparations. Then after a month comes his turn, he gets online, and he's all excited. They put the 
parachute on his back, and he's about to jump. He looks down. Oh, no, no, no. 30,000 feet up. He's not jumping so fast. So he retreats, goes into his corner. The sergeant there says, okay, you know, we've seen that. Spend a little more time here, and uh, hopefully you'll build the courage. Another month passes, and now it's his turn again. Gets online, ready, all excited. He's hyped up. No, I ain't jumping. So the sergeant says, look, this isn't made for everyone. Some people don't have the heart for this. I suggest you enlist in some other department of the military. It's not for you. And you know, the guy says, no, 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 I really want to be here. I love it here. I'll help. I'll help pack others. Why can't I just do that? So he says, why? You're never going to jump. So why do you want to be here? He says, I may never jump, but I like to be around people who jump. So I may never have the courage, but I like to be around people who have courage. Yeah, it's very nice. And it's a good, um, it makes me maybe make you feel good. But courage means that you also learn from them. And you learn from example, and you build that courage. So in many ways, it is part of maturity. But some of us never have really grown up. Chronologically, we may be adults. But in this area, we may never have built that up. And there's no question, a major factor is the confidence that you're given, instilled in you by, educator, by parents and educators and friends and society. But above all, all those forces are really only validating and nurturing and re- a pre-existing uniqueness that you have. So this brings me to a topic I've spoken about countless times. The unique you, your inner voice. Do you have confidence in yourself? Do you feel that you have something unique to bring to the table? That you can make a mark in this world that no one but you can make? If your answer is no to all the above, then clearly you're definitely not going to have an easy ride of building courage. If, however, your answer is yes, and you say, I, may, I don't know how to do it, or I may be afraid to do it, then you're in the right direction. So the most important first thing to know always is that you do have what it takes. You actually have what it takes. And you say, well, I don't believe that. I don't feel that. Now, I've told this to many people. They say, you are very optimistic. You always look for the positive. You see things I don't see. I don't feel it. And of course, the response is, your feeling is part of the problem. Because your feeling, you're letting your feeling control you and your attitude. Maybe you should just take a leap. Maybe you should just do it. Act on it, even if you don't feel it. But if I don't feel it, I can't bring myself to it. Well, there are times where we need to be pushed. And I don't mean push, God forbid, in an assault on your psyche, or pushed in a way that is hurtful or damaging. But pushed means pressured. Pressured. I have found in my own life, and I've found in many people's lives, you need pressure. All greatness comes through some form of pressure, through some form of um, resistance that you fight against. Because if not, you're not going to push it. How do you know how strong your arm is unless you have something on the other side resisting? Then you know the resistance. If you don't have that, you can just flail in the air and not have an ability, a, a knowledge, an awareness of your own power and strength. Resistance is very much connected to pressure because it causes a situation where you have to perform. So the first step in any type of building of courage, and of course, eliminating cowardice, is to take small baby steps, but something you're not comfortable with doing. Start with something small. 
push yourself beyond your regular comfort zone. It could be, for example, I always mention this, you go to a party, you go to an event, who do you gravitate to? Many people will gravitate to people they know. It's safer, it's more comfortable. Why don't you try meet a stranger? Say hello to a stranger. Initially, it may be terrifying. You don't know who that person is, how they're going to look at you. But what's the worst scenario? Worst scenarios, you don't make a great impression. So do things, it's just a suggestion. Start small steps of things that pressure you to go beyond your norm. Even if you do it on an action, behavioral basis, what you're doing is building the strength and the fortitude to be more courageous. And what you're doing also is eliminating the timidity, the timidness, and the cowardice that's associated often with new things. You'll see little shy children, for example, as much as they explore, they suddenly, among strangers, many children will just pull back. It's not because there's anything wrong with them. There are some children that just are, are gung-ho and they just take out anything. But any normal, healthy child, even the ones that are that way, will have times where they are tentative to find out their surroundings. There's nothing wrong with that. That is part of the healthy process of also protecting yourself. You don't want to be hurt. So you go with a certain tentativeness, certain hesitation, due diligence, slowly. But you don't want to get stuck in that slow. You don't want the rest of your life be spending in that tentative due diligence state and say, I'm still doing my uh, due diligence. I'm still looking into it. That's why you have to pace it. Fine, check into something, then allow yourself to engage. It's always going to be an element of discomfort because you're going out of your comfort zone. The comfort zone, by definition, means comfortable. So as soon as you go and push yourself outside of your comfort zone, it means a little uncomfortable. And that's where you begin building that type of courage. Now, of course, the objective here is not just to do things that pressure you, but the objective is to really discover yourself. And you can only do that when you allow yourself to free yourself from the forces that have shaped you. As I mentioned very often, the three subjective forces, your own self-interest, parental influences, and social pressure, peer pressure. These are three factors that can serve as a benefit to you, but they can also hamper you and basically clip your wings. Because if you're constantly answering based on your own self-interest and subjectivity, you'll be blinded. You'll do things that are good for you, but not necessarily good, for, good I should correct that, good for instant gratification, but not good for you in the long term. Parental influences, even if they're good, there comes a point where you need to make a choice. You need to own your choices. And finally, social pressure. Social pressure is a force that is very hard to, to contend with. You want to be accepted. You want to fit in. You, want to, you don't want to just look like some be a pariah. So all these forces are constantly at work trying to get you to conform. And conformity is the ultimate act of cowardice because it means you're just fitting in. And again, I don't mean conformity in the good sense where you're marching in line and you're cooperating with others. I mean to the point where you are not accessing your voice. You're just following the lead. You're a follower. And that ultimately b builds a type of almost fear of anything where I'm not be following someone else. On the other hand, when you come to build confidence and discover your unique voice, your unique contribution, and you have people that come to you for advice, for counsel, for your opinion because of your uniqueness, then what you're doing is building that self-confidence that lies at the heart of courage and defeats cowardice. 
people who really you see, whether it's in the battlefield, literal battlefield or the battlefield of life, that have risen to the occasion, that have st- stood out in their particular heroism or acts of heroism, you'll see, have that element in them. It could be an inherent goodness. If they see an injustice, they will not be silent. Many people may be silent. Or it could be the fact that they, they have an environment where they grew up where they, you push yourself and you go beyond your comfort. Above all, it's recognizing it's not all about you. Fear, cowardice, and all the other forces that are debilitating and paralyzing is ultimately self-absorption. You're so absorbed with yourself and your feelings about something, that controls everything. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel I want to do it. I'm afraid to do it. That I, that I gets in the way. Whereas if this needs to be done, someone's life is at stake. There's a higher cause to serve. You know what's doing? You're, you know what you're doing? You're getting the I is being moved aside for something more important than the I. And what happens is the I is the root of all cowardice and fear. The id, the ego. Because this ego is a very fragile place, is a very fragile entity, and it does not have that inner fundamental confidence. It builds its strength on either taking away something else someone else has, either undermining others, which is the reason that so many people hurt other people, because they feel if I can put that person down, I become bigger. Whereas the voice of the soul, as opposed to the ego, is the opposite. I don't, that person doesn't have to be wrong for me to be right. I don't have to make them smaller, I can make myself bigger. Lift yourself up instead of pushing down the other. That comes from the confidence of the soul that each of us has as, as our birthright. That you were born with a unique soul, a divine soul, that has inherent majesty and has inherent, inherent uniqueness. And if you know that and you feel it, what do you think the result of that will be? Nothing can stop you then because there's no, no, no person and no event that can in any way impede your ability to become who you are. If you indeed know it and are confident in it. If, however, you're lacking that confidence or you're under the influence of others who are undermining you, obviously that voice remains buried, remains undercover. And as desperate as it's that voice is, one, as is to express itself, the rest of your life has been shaped in a way that you are actually suppressing your own self from becoming who you can really be. Imagine how insane that is. So again, the way to build courage is small steps of doing things beyond your regular comfort zone. The next part of that is not just doing things, doing things that help others. Volunteering, charity, a kind act, a nice word, beautiful email, heartwarming interactions, anything you initiate, but you have to initiate. That initiation is pushing and I would say even releasing the energy called courage within your soul. When you don't, what happens is that energy remains undercover, remains quiet, and does not believe in itself because it's not been fed. It's like someone who goes into atrophy because for years hasn't used a certain muscle. So you, how do you develop courage? By exercising the muscle called courage, which means committing to something that goes beyond your own comfort. And then you look back and you say, wow, I did that. I could do that. I can do something that even that goes against the grain of my own inclination. 
That is the ultimate courage and strength. In the words of the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the fathers that we read and study these weeks, to pass over Shvut, Ezu Gibar, the Mishnah asks, who is the powerful one? So most people say powerful is muscles, people who can lift great weights, people who are powerful in influence. She says the one who conquers his inclination. Hakevish es Yitzray. Now Yitzray literally means, Yitzray means an inclination. It means, a, it could even mean a side, a part of you. We know it's referring to the evil inclination, the inclination that's selfish, but it's your inclination. Whatever the inclination is, overpowering that inclination, that's the powerful person. A person who does not go by what he's inclined to do or she's inclined to do. Does not go with the easy, with the road less, the road most traveled on. Does not go with the road of conformity and following others. The one that conquers that inclination of just following the lead is the one that is the most powerful one. Because that power, that's what creates power. That creates confidence. So think of it this way. Let's say you were part of a group, part of a family, part of a unit, a community, and people are doing great things. And you joined the group, and you're also doing great things with them. They help other people. They build. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're ambitious. They're kind, compassionate, and so on. Let's say you're part of that. That's beautiful. But it's still you have not taken initiative. You just, you're riding on their coattails, which is a good beginning. That's how we incubate ourselves, where we learn from others that are better, like the paratrooper. But then comes the day where you have to rise to the occasion and initiate. And you'll find, I'd rather just go with a group. No, you know, today, go find yourself a special volunteer project that no one else is doing, only you're doing. And initially you'll say, what's wrong? I want to be with that group. They're doing it. It's a beautiful thing they're doing. It's better than being with a group that does other things that are either a waste of time or, or actually destructive. But you want you to bring yourself in there. So that's why you need to initiate. You come up with an idea. You say, everyone's doing that. I'm going to do something extra. I'm going to do something a little different. Be creative. You know what happens when you do that? You are exercising the courageous part of your spirit that is completely confident in its own abilities. But it needs to be acted upon. Just like with exercise. You can know that you have muscles. You can know you have a lot of muscle. You may know the potential you have. But when you exercise, you actualize that potential. It's not just, oh, I'm doing it, and I just go along for the ride. It's pushing yourself. Back to the pressure, back to the resistance. Push yourself. And on an ongoing basis, you have to continue doing so, not just once, but continuously. So if someone comes to me and says, I have no courage, I'm a coward. I'm afraid to make a decision. I'm afraid to make a commitment. My response would always be, you know what, let's stay away now from the big decision. Let's find something small. Can you wake up tomorrow a half hour earlier than you usually do and go visit some special children? No, you know what, I have my schedule. I don't want to be tired. No, let's start with that. You say, what does that have to do with my making a bigger commitment? Commitment breeds commitment. Courage breeds courage. Cowardice breeds cowardice. Because every time you resist, you become stronger and more entrenched in that attitude. The attitude of a go-getter is not necessarily solving all the problems and conquering the great, the, all the horizons initially. Take one small horizon. Let's make one small goal. You walk 10 minutes, walk 15 minutes. 
You've done something, do it a little more, do it a little earlier, do it a little for a longer period of time. Everyone has areas where you can go outside of the comfort zone. And when you do, magic happens, literally. What happens is the muscle gets exercised, and then you develop an appetite. And as I said, it breeds more. Courage breeds more courage. And then you want to take on another challenge. That's the nature of the human being. But you could easily fall into the trap of inertia, just doing what you've always been doing or doing what others are doing. So this force of, of courage and heroism and bravery, this ability is within the reach of each one of us. It is helpful to be around others and incubate around people who have that courage, but also to initiate, initiate something. You will be amazed at what kind of results come from initiating. It generates energy. Whenever you initiate, it's a ripple effect. It has a type of domino effect that begins to open up you, others, and on an ongoing basis, on a perpetual basis. Initiating, initiating. Cowardice is essentially the element of, of inertia, as I just said, paralysis, where you just avoid situations and you just take that uh, the easy way out. I can't do it, I don't want to do it, and so on. So, my friends, there are many, many ways to build up this courage. Let's take this a little further. <clears throat> when you look in history, especially in the biblical characters, there's something that stands out when you talk about Abraham, Moses, and basically almost virtually every leader. They were all courageous. What that means is they were pioneers. They took a leap. They took a step that no one else was ready to take. And that in turn made them leaders. So one can argue, you know, that's for people like that. I'm not a born leader. Every one of us has a Moses within us. Every one of us has an Abraham within us, has a Sarah within us. We all have an element of leadership within us. Not all of us will be full-blown leaders of a community, of a company, of a, of a congregation. But in our own little right, we are leaders. It could be in our homes. And it could be not even the leader of the leaders, but in the area that you have to contribute do you know your strengths that others can learn from? There's another mission in that same, that same phrase where it said, who is the strong one, the powerful one, the one that conquers his inclination? Who is the wise one? The one who learns from all people. Interesting statement. Who is the wise one? Why does it say the one, the most erudite, the most knowledgeable, the, most, the biggest scholar, the one that is studied the most? The one who learns from everyone which teaches us two things, that everyone has something to teach and everyone has something to learn. So if I were to ask you the question, you asked yourself this question, what do you have to teach somebody? What, do you, what strengths do you have? What unique experiences, opportunities, people, places, things that you've done in your life that you can use to teach somebody else a lesson, a good lesson, or a lesson, a hard-earned lesson? This is vital. Because when you don't have self-awareness, know thyself, it's going to be very difficult to maintain any type of courage. And why wouldn't you be a coward? you say, you know, I don't really know if I can do this. You'll second-guess yourself. You'll be very tentative, as I mentioned, and hesitant. So getting to know yourself and knowing your strengths and acting on them is the great direct antidote to cowardly behavior. Because it builds that confidence and also... It gives you something to hold on to. You could say, I am good at this. This is, again, not meant to be pompous or arrogant. It's just a self-awareness that I have something to contribute. So the next step in this is define things you can contribute. 
Not just what you take from others, not what you still learn from others. What do you teach? What can you teach? And begin acting on that. Now, this doesn't mean suddenly you have to become a professional teacher. It means you can share an insight. You can look for people who may be struggling in a certain area that you have experience in and share with them what you've learned from your experience. There are many ways where you can develop that self-confidence when you know yourself and you build upon that. Many of us don't even know ourselves. Many of us are copying our friends. And then it becomes embarrassing. You're doing something that you're not really good at. It's just the most popular guy in class is doing it, so I'm also doing it. That will always lead to a certain element of cowardly behavior. Because when someone says, and what do you think? You always gravitate back to what your friends did, or that friend did. That's why it's so vital, again, to find things that you initiate, something unique to you. Because that uniqueness builds your confidence. And in the beginning, you may not be great at it. But as you continue at it, and you sustain it, and, and, and maintain it, it suddenly becomes second nature. And even first nature. It becomes and reflective of your unique spirit. So at the end of the day, our uniqueness and our confidence in our uniqueness is vital in this discussion. Because without that, you, what are you turning to? What, sh- what should you have confidence in? Why should you not be afraid of your shadow and everything coming your way? So it's about finding yourself, embracing it, learning more about it, having a good mentor that will help you look at yourself in a fresh way and emphasize and underscore your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. These are the tools necessary to be able to truly start building and becoming a courageous human being. And I go back to what I said earlier. Oliver Wendell Holmes, the Supreme Court Justice, wrote that classic poem, sad poem, tragic poem, the voiceless. Alas to those that die with their song still inside them. We all have a song inside of us, more than one song. And it's waiting to be released. It's waiting to be sung. But besides having the song, you have to have the courage to sing it. You have to be able to say, I believe in myself. I'm ready to sing my song. I don't care what others think. And even if someone says, who are you to sing? You did nothing with your life. You're worthless. You still have that inner confidence. And you have people around you that support you, that give you that vote of confidence. That's how you build, that's how we build courage. By behaving in ways that live up to who we truly are. And that's not so difficult to find out, especially if you have a mentor, especially if you can speak to someone openly and discuss with them all your challenges. How many things are you resisting to do right now? How many things that would lead you to greatness? But some procrastinating voice keeps you at bay, does not let you push forward, and so on. God knows I'm guilty of this as well as as anybody out there. But the first step is always awareness of the problem. Awareness. And we're all going to have moments of where we need to lay lay low, moments of respite, and not so driven. But see those moments of respite as a springboard that when we embrace a challenge, we go into it. It's exhilarating. As much as it's something we don't want, it's the thing that gives us the best, the greatest of life. Especially when you have a partner to do it with. You have someone else in your life committed together. That changes so much because two people have a synergy, each one empowering the other, each one challenging the other. There's a certain power to that. That's why you have in the Talmud that the studies was a chavrusa. Chavrusa meant one-on-one. 
sparring partners who build each other's strength because they challenge each other. All in love and all with kindness. But sometimes it can get heated. Sometimes it can get even loud. Sometimes it gets very passionate because you really believe it. But you always remember that the end of the goal is peace, not battle. But the battle is part of clarifying an idea. You take an idea, you want to crystallize it. To crystallize, you need to really bleach it. You really need to wring it and squeeze it out for, for everything it's worth. And then it comes out a more crystal clear, a more crystallized result. This is all part of the process of life. Having a friend, having a mentor, having someone that challenges you. Embrace that. Don't be afraid of it. Some people say, I don't want to have someone challenging me. Or as the accountants, some accountants say, they pay me top dollar not to listen to me. It makes them feel good that they have an accountant, they have a, a therapist, they have a, a lawyer. The key thing is also to learn from that. As I said, to learn from everyone and grow and not see yourself as self-contained and it's all about you. So ironically, ego, self-worship and ego, which would seem to imply, wow, so much self-confidence, so much courage, actually no. Because the ego knows that it only, it's short-lived, that its high is a sugar-coated high. And therefore, as much as someone shows their macho-ness and toughness and bravado and all that, that could be completely false. It's like the, the ego just masquerading as confident. Confidence does not come from masquerades. It does not come from material success because those are all temporary. How secure can you be with something that's temporary? Conf true confidence comes from things that are eternal, that you own, that you pass on to your children, a legacy. When you have that, that creates a profound confidence. You know, I was blessed. I grew up in a home. My father, especially my father, my mother as well, my teachers, especially the Rebbe, were fundamentally confident people, completely comfortable in their own skin, at the same time driven to succeed, realizing I'm here on a mission. Being exposed to that, I have no words to describe what it does for you. What it does for you is it gives you this living example from the youngest impressionable years of what it means to be driven, what it means to succeed, what it means to be focused. And that laser-sharp focus creates a harmony in your life that's not scattered. It's not a bunch of scattered light going all over. It's focused toward mission, toward purpose. And that is all that goes hand-in-hand with confidence and with all that that, that that leads to. Right. And that is why it's so vital for each one of us to know thyself. I'm summing up some of the points made. To know thyself. To act and push yourself more on a small level and let it grow. That's how you build your muscles, your physical muscles. And that's how you build your psychological and emotional muscles. And to be around people who have that confidence in you. Take upon yourself projects that go a little further than you would usually go. All these things build confidence. And as you build confidence, you build courage. And as you build courage, your more fearful side, the more timid, cowardly side, recedes in the background. Now, I just want to qualify Cowardice is not to be confused with shyness. There are people who, for example, just much more very respectful, very dignified. They don't jump. They're not aggressive. But the question is whether that lack of aggression is coming from weakness or from strength. If it's coming from strength, then it goes hand in hand with courage. And, but if it's coming from weakness, 
of not riding to rock the boat, being afraid of being criticized, then it could border on cowardice. But the mere fact that some people exercise restraint and discipline and don't always show aggression is not at all. I see some of the people that are most courageous know when to exercise restraint, know when you have to let go, when you have to let someone else do the job. But that's coming out of strength. So that's an important qualification. So, my friends, how not to be a coward. Not to be a coward is believing in yourself, believing that God put you here with a unique mission. Discover some strength that you have and act on it. Act on it. Push yourself further than regular. Be around people that have courage. And above all, remember that you're here not to serve yourself. You're here to serve a greater and higher calling, a transcendent element to life. Because the more we're obsessed with ourselves, the more we're self-consumed, the more self-conscious we are, the more fearful we'll become. Because it's, you, know, you start saying, how will, I, how, how will I be perceived? How will others see it? How will I be looked at? Will they judge me? Will they laugh at me? And so on. When you start focusing so much on yourself about the cause that you're serving, everything changes. What changes is ultimately that you become someone greater than yourself. So ironically, the greatest way to build self-confidence is not by being so self-conscious about me, me, me and how I'm seen. By doing the right thing. By committing to good things. And that builds. And then suddenly you realize, hey, I'm good at this. I'm capable. I'm able to help. I'm able to give. And in general, giving builds confidence. Taking does, undermines confidence. You say, one second, taking, you acquire so much. But taking creates a mentality of a taker. Meaning, I'm not as complete if I don't have it. A giver says, I'm complete. And I have, not only am I complete, even if I don't have it, I get even more complete because I have the courage and strength to give. It takes more strength to give than to take. Take is easy to do. To give means you have to give of yourself, give of your time, of your money, of your energy. And that giving gives you more back, gives you back more confidence than taking. So you could hoard and hold on to millions and millions of dollars and be completely a coward. And someone else has the, the power to conquer their inclination. And they give beyond their comfort zone. And those are the people that have the true confidence. That's yet another twist, ironic twist in this counterintuitive approach. So, my friends, I look at you and, and look at every person as a potential hero. You have all that it takes to be courageous, to be brave, to dare, to make a move, to dare to pioneer and initiate and take life to another plane that no one has ever taken it to. Each in our own way, this is not necessarily dramatic with fireworks, each in our way to push it a little more. And that pushing creates a tremendous energy. In Tanya, the book of Tanya, chapter 15, he talks about it. How when you do something by routine, even if it's a great thing, even if you're doing it a hundred times, as it was in the times of the Talmud, to study something a hundred times, it's still routine. It doesn't have that burst of energy that catapults you, that catalyst. But if you do it 101 times, that one over 100, it's only one, that's 100. But it comes with 100, you've pushed it, that generates a, 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 what's the word I want to use? A thrust, a ballistic thrust that takes you to another stratosphere because you've gone out of qualitatively of your comfort zone. So it's not the amount of times you do it, it's you've shifted something. That shift is the secret formula to courage, the secret formula to minimize cowardice the shift that you make. So may you be blessed with the courage to have courage. 
the, to dare to dare, the bravery to be brave. Start with small steps. Be around people that are push, are push themselves and others to excel. Help us, partner with us, Meaningful Life Center, read our articles, share them, initiate, and you'll see how it all helps feed the soul. And as we feed our soul, just like the body needs oxygen, food and drink, sleep, the soul needs also to be fed. Feeding the soul ultimately feeds it with confidence, with self, with, with security, with self-esteem, with confidence and courage that I can achieve whatever I set my mind to. That you can even achieve the impossible. May you be blessed. We're here every Wednesday. This is a live program that begins at 8.30 Wednesdays, Eastern Standard Time, but it's archived and you can listen to it anytime. <clears throat> Download it, MP3, podcast, the works. Please share this. Communicate with us. Questions, comments, feedback. We are here as one large family and organism. We all need each other. We need you, you need us. But not in a needy way, in a strong way. Different musicians in a large ensemble, a large symphony. And the song can only be sung. The musical composition can only be done when each of us contributes our unique self with our courage. And then we compliment everyone else and everyone else compliments us. Everyone be well. It's been Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com is our website. Enjoy, partake in this spiritual journey and our spiritual health center. And may we all be blessed with all the courage to be able to achieve, reach the sky and beyond.